Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct and faculty member and guest lecturer in universities around the world. Our guest today is Kate Terrell. Kate is the former chief HR officer at Driscoll's Inc., the world's berry company, and has spent over 20 years working in leadership and talent and organizational effectiveness roles, as well as culture navigation and in, in evolving employee experience. Her passion comes in helping companies reach their potential and become successful enterprises. Prior to joining Driscoll's, Kate worked in consulting for Accenture and private and private, e- private equity-held organizations and at Whirlpool. Several life events have had a significant impact on her career and her personal journey, from working in Manhattan on 9-11 to jumping into a company that was on the verge of failure and successfully battling stage four cancer. She identified five key lessons that were critical to her in her life and to building her resiliency. I also want to note or add that I've known Kate since we worked together at Accenture, well, 30 years ago, and we climbed Kilimanjaro together. So Kate is a person, one that I know and respect just deeply for who she is as a professional and who she is as a person and who she is as an athlete, dragging my sorry self behind her at times. So, um, Well, and I have to say, it was not 30 years ago at Accenture. It definitely wasn't that long ago. But yes, very long and dear friends. <laughs> sorry, it feels like that on days when I think about the travel. So what you're going to hear today is different than some interviews. You're, you're going to hear two people who are dear friends um, talking about the experiences. And certainly Kate, as our guest, will be highlighting her experiences. Uh, this is going to be a little bit more like our leadership happy hour with, with a, a bit more candor, probably. So the, the purpose of this show, the Innovative Leadership Show, is really as we are in a world that's transforming at an accelerating rate, many of us are struggling to keep current on the range of issues just in our lives and um, often don't have time to lift our heads and look at what are the broader issues we face. So my intent in creating the show is to give listeners exposure to things that you wouldn't take time to read or study from the perspective of leaders in that space, whether they're academic and thought leaders, or in Kate's case, someone who has overcome significant challenges. 
So during the course of our careers, we face a series of challenges in our personal and professional lives. Kate will talk about how she navigated her stage four cancer diagnosis while holding a significant leadership role. She discusses her personal and professional journey, and she has five lessons in resilience that she wishes her younger self knew. And so whether you are an individual just starting your career or you're trying to find your uh, reason for being, Kate's lessons are applicable. So let's jump in. And Kate, can you give us some background about you other than that we worked together some number of years ago? Sure. Um, so yeah, Maureen and I um, work together in the consulting industry. I think I've I've had kind of a non-traditional um, life. I was I was born uh, in Ohio in the Midwest. I was raised predominantly in California, and then moved back to the Midwest um, to go to to go to school. Um, spent you know several years in consulting. Um, and then moved into um, work in HR, really focusing on leadership and talent and culture navigation are a few of my passion areas. You know, I've been so fortunate in that I have been able to work um, for both, you know, private equity, large blue chip organizations, fast growing organizations, um, and along the way, you know, created a really wonderful family with a daughter that is is 12 years old and a phenomenal husband, um, you know, and we've just worked through a lot of life's adventures, both good and bad. So tell us a little bit more about your cancer journey. Sure. And, and you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll step back even a little bit from cancer and, and just talk a little bit about some other pieces of my life's journey that I think fold into lessons um, that I've, I've learned with, with the cancer being a big part of it. You know, as I, as I shared with you, um, you know, you and I got our start together working in, in consulting and, um, you know, I was really happy in, um, in my consulting world and um, happened to be working in Manhattan on 9-11. And that was one of those defining moments um, for me because I realized that while I had this phenomenal professional career and a job that I loved, I also was missing um, some of the aspects of my personal life. You know, I, I wanted to get married. I wanted to settle down and eventually have a family. And because I was on the road 50 out of 52 weeks of the year, I really was sacrificing my career for my whole self. Um, and 9-11 was one of those moments where um, I really asked myself, well, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? And that to me was making the decision to get off the road, to make a bit of a career switch and to move into something um, new and exciting. And so, you know, eventually landed at a small company, private equity firm, um, where I had some really great um, business experience. That was a company where on my first day of employment, um, the, the president said to me, the CEO said to me, Kate, we could be bankrupt in a few months. Um, the deal that I was putting together um, fell apart. And so if you want to go back to your old company, I don't blame you. Um, and again, that was one of those moments where I thought, wow, like, well, I, I've never been through a bankruptcy before. And what can I learn from this experience? And so the good news was I made the move. We turned the company around um, and um, uh, and eventually sold sold that 
organization. And so it was a really great learning experience for me. Um, and then took another, you know, leap of faith in terms of making a move. You know, at, at that point, I'd been in Columbus for probably close to 16 years. Um, and, you know, the thought of kind of uprooting my family and moving to another state um, was, was somewhat daunting. Yet, you know, I took the risk, um, took the job at Whirlpool. And um, wow, what an amazing opportunity from a career standpoint. Um, you know, I, I got to work with a global blue chip organization. Um, I held three different roles, increasing responsibility, um, had been promoted to, you know, the vice president of HR for the global product development organization and really was feeling like, gosh, I have an amazing family. I've got this great job. Everything um, is going really, really well. And, uh, and one day I kind of noticed that I was looking... Um, I was looking kind of pudgy and I was starting to look like I was pregnant and uh, I knew that I knew that I wasn't pregnant and uh, went to the doctor and, and fortunately I had an amazing, amazing doctor who ran some scans. She got a little concerned. We did some more tests um, and she got really concerned. She found a nine centimeter uh, tumor on my, um, on my ovary and um there's nothing more devastating. I, from the day that I found that out, I was in my first surgery, uh, gosh, probably just over three days later, um, got into surgery and realized um, during the first surgery um, that the cancer was very unusual. And I, we, we all thought it was ovarian cancer, but my, uh, my oncologist um, said it doesn't look like... Um, it doesn't look like ovarian cancer. I've done a lot of this. It does not look. We've got to wait for the pathology. Um, and it turns out uh, that I had stage four appendiceal cancer that had metastasized through my entire um, abdomen. And um, it, was, it was a pretty significant um, cancer battle. And I, um, I went through seven surgeries. Um, over the course of a year, um, one of which was over 15 hours long, um, where they, they basically cut me open, they did a procedure called debulking, and then they filled my abdomen with hot chemotherapy, they rolled me around to try to um, get rid of the microscopic cancer cells, and then they, they sewed me back up. I had numerous complications um, from that surgery, including, you know, bilateral pulmonary emboli. Um, I had um, uh, I had a um, a fistula that formed from um, an abscess that I had that broke open that became a fistula. I couldn't eat or drink for about 117 days. I had to be fed via, um, via an IV um, tube, and it was probably one of the most grueling um, and harrowing experiences that myself and my family had to navigate through. Um, the good news is I'm, I'm happy to say that um, at this point, 
I am almost, uh, I'm almost at my five year mark of being cancer free and very, um, very healthy and, um, very grateful to this day, um, that I was able to go through such an experience, um, and, and come out, um, I think even stronger, um, as, as an individual. So, Kate, I want to give a little bit of background for our listeners because uh, you, I want to, um, I want to give a little more personal background, I guess, and how okay. I know you. Um, Kate and I met when I first started at Accenture, and I was looking for someone at a peer level to give me feedback. And Kate and one other person were folks I reached out to, and developed just a a very trusting and solid relationship. I was in the midst of a divorce, and one of the things we did was go on an outward bound trip, which for Kate was probably not a big deal, and for me it was, it stretched every fiber in my being. And over the time, so we we did multiple trips, uh, the most difficult being um, climbing Kilimanjaro in Africa, and for, again, someone like me who doesn't have the uh, great deal of physical strength, it was incredibly difficult. And looking to Kate for her both physical stamina and emotional presence, I think we all sang every song to rent multiple times on each of these trips because the way we got through the challenges, rent was Kate's favorite uh, performance and favorite music at the time. And, and we would drag ourselves up these mountains singing. So we, we, we were probably like the seven dwarves or something. And, and I'm sure we could all come up with names. So as we go into the lessons, and we're going to go on break first, but as we go into the resilience lessons, you know, we hear about Kate as an, a highly successful executive. She's also... So a mom, she said, of a 12-year-old, when this happened, she was a young mom. Uh, she was a relatively new wife and uh, a sister and a daughter to two parents who uh, lived separately and both adored her. So, so in addition to being a successful leader, I, I kind of want people to think about Kate as this person who is a friend and a valued colleague who many of us have looked up to and when she was diagnosed were the community uh, really struggled also with the possibility of losing a friend. So we're going to go on break here a minute early and what I want our listeners to think about as we're on break is where does your strength come from? You know, for me, Kate was a role model in many ways of professional grace and success and not only physical stamina to make these trips, but also the emotional stamina when our luggage got lost and she had to climb Kilimanjaro probably in... Um, in somebody else's clothing, sleeping in a Smurf sleeping bag or whatever the story was. 
<laughs> it was something like that. <laughs> this is a climb that's hard enough in your own shoes and and expensive gear. It, it is near impossible when your luggage goes astray as you're getting ready to, to make a climb in a country where you can't buy replacement gear. Uh, and I yet, um, oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Kate. No, I was just going to say, I, and I, I remember very vividly when we finally got to Arusa and we were trying to find our stuff. Like, I definitely had a mini meltdown um, for sure. And I think the biggest thing about that is in those times, right? We all have those times when we have the meltdowns or we face adversity. It's all about how do you pick yourself back up and are you willing to pick yourself back up? And I think that there is the real differentiator when it comes to resilience. Cool. So on that note, let's go on break. Uh, We will be right back and Kate will walk us through her five elements of resilience. out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're listening to Kate Terrell talk about her journey and experience, not only with cancer, but in sharing what she wishes her younger self knew about resilience. So she has five lessons. Let's start out with the first one. What would you do if you weren't afraid? 
Yeah, you know, Maureen, and I think you, you know, you know this well, too, because you have taken many risks in your life. I think fear is one of those things that can that can hold us back. And as I shared with you earlier, you know, being in Manhattan on 9-11 was one of those defining moments. And I remember very clearly sitting across from our friend and, you know, she basically said, like, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And it was this thinking of, gosh, I need to make a change in my life. And it is so much easier to stay in my comfort zone um, and continue doing, you know, quite honestly, what I'd love to do. Um, or do I, do I take the risk? Do I leave my job? Um, do I really focus on some other aspects of my life? Um, and there are many other examples I can give you about really thinking about what would you do if you weren't afraid? What decisions would you make? Um, and quite honestly, what's the worst thing that can happen when you make a bad decision? And it's easy to say that now, but as, as I think back on some of my tough decisions, I, I really struggled with those decisions and knowing if they were the right call, choosing to leave a marriage. And how do you know if that's the right decision? Exactly, exactly. I mean, I remember accepting my job at Whirlpool and on the one hand being so excited and on the other hand being in tears because my husband was going to be selling his business. We were uprooting our family from, you know, a community that we knew and we loved and we were comfortable in. And I remember David saying to me, Kate, what is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is you don't like the job and we move back to Columbus, Ohio. And uh, it kind of put it all in perspective. And thank goodness we made the move because we made amazing friends. I had amazing career opportunities. Um, but it can be so easy to let that fear hold you back. So do you have fears now? Do you still have this conversation with yourself? Oh, gosh, all the time. <laughs> all, all the time. I think, um, you know, right now I'm looking for... Uh, I'm looking for my next adventure. And so, you know, there's fears of, well, what would it mean um, if I if I wanted to start my own business? What does it mean if, if we move our family again? Um, and I really love that kind of thinking about what's the worst thing that could happen and how would you deal, how would you deal with that? Um, so, so I think it is something that you always encounter and you've just, you've got to, You've got to make sure that that doesn't hold you back. So I want to add a bit of brain science in here. Our brains are wired to keep us alive and safe. So when I'm afraid of something, and and sometimes I'm afraid of something because of something that happened early in my life when I was a little person. And so if I haven't cleaned up that fear, my brain can still go into, you're going to die if this happens. So the brain actually emphasizes the things that feel risky to us by a factor of eight to ten times. So I run into a situation and my body can go into a fight and flight mode as if I'm getting ready to be in a car wreck over something that is irrationally weighted given where I am in life. And Kate, you were going to say something there? That's right. No, go ahead. I, uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think your fear, you know, you, 
your your mind is a very powerful thing, and it can make up stories, and uh, those stories can really hold you back from being your best self. And and you know, I was recently in a class, and we did an exercise on who are you when you're big. Uh, meaning when you feel really good and you feel really on. And I think focusing on that can be the thing that can help you manage through those fears. You know, you need to quiet that inner critic and really listen to that inner mentor or that inner angel that can give you the reasons why you can do something. You know, it was like when David said to me, what's the worst thing that can happen if we don't like it? we can pack up and come home. Like there's nothing stopping mm-hmm. us from doing that. And, and so it is partially being aware of the fear and the, and the stories that are overinflated. I'm not sure they're irrational. Some of mine are irrational. Yeah. My story is I'm oh. going to end up homeless under a bridge with a violent, abusive man. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, that comes from well, I used to I mean, live in a condo. I remember I had a, the. I had the. Oh, go ahead. Oh, with a, a drunk guy who lived under our bridge, and he would occasionally be violent. And you were going to say. No, I was just going to say I have a similar fear of, you know, I'd always had a fear of eating dog food when. Um, uh, when I got older. And, you know, that thought is very irrational. Um, you know, I'm the type of person where I'm going to do what I, what I need to do, but it is still a motivator in, in many ways for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Similarly. And yet having a fear that's irrational can also keep me stuck if I don't pay attention. That's right. That's right. So the second one, what do you mean by focusing on what you can control? You know, this is one that, you know, quite honestly, when I, when I think about accountability, it's one that comes up because, and I, and I think about that in the context of when I was sick. And, you know, when I was diagnosed as, as a patient, as someone who is ill, there are a lot of things that you can't control. I couldn't control the fact that I had cancer. I couldn't control that it had spread through my entire abdomen. Um, But you get to make this choice, and the choice is you can focus on what you can control or you can focus on what you can't control. And when you focus on what you can't control, you are playing victim, and it is frustrating, and it is scary. But when you focus on what you can control, it gives you something to anchor to. And and I use this example. You know, I was getting ready to go into a 15-hour, very, very controversial surgery. Um, And while I couldn't control the surgery, I could control, A, making sure I had the best doctor that I could possibly have for me. I made sure I was in the best shape I possibly could. I remember the day before I went into the surgery, I was doing a workout because I wanted to make sure I was as fit and as healthy as I could be. I worked with a vision coach to make sure that I had the right mental perspective as I went into that surgery. So by focusing on all of those things that I did have control over, I didn't focus my time and energy on, you know, the surgery, the 
um, you know, what happened in that room, all of, all of those other things. And I think that's a really important lesson because I think people can get very frustrated with um, when they focus on things that they really don't have any control over. So I love the idea that you worked with a vision coach. One of the things we talk about in building resilience is managing my thinking. So there are, to your mm-hmm. point, there are a lot of things I can't control. I, I often don't get enough sleep because I've overcommitted, which is in part in my control, but <laughs> in part not. But I, every day I can manage how I think about what's happening, the story I tell myself. So the idea of a vision coach is interesting. What does that look like? Yeah, you know, for me, it was a finding, um, quite honestly, finding colors and images that were comforting, that brought me peace. It was focusing on coming out of that surgery and just kind of mentally walking through, you know, you're going to, you're going to feel okay. You're going to come out of the surgery. You're going to be, it was all telling that narrative to myself about how I would be coming out of that surgery. And again, that your brain is really powerful having those mental images that I could focus on as opposed to focus on, you know, being scared or all of the things that mm-hmm. go wrong. And, you know, certainly those ran through my mind, but the vision coach really helped me channel my energy into what do I need to be focused on to do everything I can for a successful outcome. So do you still use that process today? I do. Probably not as much as I should, truth be told. Um, but I very much try to focus on um, on the positive, on what I want, um, what I need, those types of things. I use it with often setting an intention before I go into a, especially a big presentation. So I did a, yeah. a big presentation this morning and my intention was what's the biggest impact I can make on this group of senior leaders and how do I make sure that they have the most positive experience and take away the greatest value instead of, Mm -hmm. to your point, thinking they're going to think I'm an idiot and an imposter and the technology is going to go wrong. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And probably many of us have both. And yet my goal was to be very conscious about thinking about the value, not the potential hiccups. That's right. That's right. I think you've got to you've got to make sure you do your homework, and then you've got to be very focused on. I'm going to show up in the best way possible. These folks have me in the room because I'm able to bring something of value to them. Um, that mental perspective is really important. So here's another piece of data: five minutes of negative thinking causes six hours of physiological impact. So the hormones that are released in my body based on the stories I'm telling myself and the negative self-talk can make me sick. Yeah. And I think you, you pointed that out beautifully and not only did you work out, but you managed your image of your health so that your body had the highest probability of success. That's right. That's right. As leaders in our daily lives, we can also leverage that lesson for 
increasing the probability of success in every meeting and every and every tough conversation we're going to have. Mm-hmm. You and need so, to image it before you walk into it. Yes. Yeah. Getting in the middle of a bad situation and then trying to see what could come out of it is a lot harder. That's right. Especially when, again, our brain gets abducted by our, our prefrontal cortex will shut down if, if the situation is complicated enough. So thinking our way out of it at that point isn't very easy. So let's jump into the next idea, and we'll probably go on break in the middle of this. Can you explain the idea that the days may be long, but the years are short? Yeah, you know, a friend of mine first gave me that quote, and he was actually talking about being a parent, Um, meaning, like, as a parent, you have some really long days with your kids, but wow, in a blink of an eye, they're all grown up, and they've got their own life. Um, I think that certainly resonated for me as, you know, a woman who has, you know, the fortune of having a really great career and, you know, a daughter and, and knowing some of those how long some of those days could be, but I but I also think now about it in a broader context of, you know, you all have days, whether you have kids or not, you have days at work that are long and they're hard. You have trying times with your kids, your other family members, all of those types of things, um, and some of those days feel like an eternity, but... I don't know about you, Maureen, but I know for me that the years keep going faster and faster. I feel like I blink now and we've gone from Christmas to Christmas again. And I think that understanding that while the days are long, the years go by very, very fast. And are you maximizing your life and, and what you want? You know, I think before... I got sick. Um, you know, I shared with you, I always had this fear of eating dog food. Um, and so, you know, I was a huge saver and, um, you know, always wanted to be planning for the future. And while I still do that, um, I've also said I got to take more time to enjoy all that life has to offer. And, you know, you can't always save for a rainy day because sometimes you know, that rainy day comes, you know, you don't even get to have the rainy day, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who thought that we had known each other and worked together for 30 years. So for me, the years are going (laughs) fast. (laughs) And yet there are moments that seem like they will never end. There are conversations that seem like they'll never end. That's right. And and they will. And the fact of the matter is, is, you get through it, right? I mean, you get through it, and then the next day is a new day. But, you know, you, you've got to think about it as there are only so many days, right? Nobody lives forever. Nobody has figured out that magic bullet quite yet. Well, and that's exactly what I was thinking. They're all, for most of us, there is going to be a tomorrow. And being able to take the perspective that whatever this is, I'm going to get through it. And tomorrow can be a better day because some days are tough and we'll have have more of those. So for our listeners, the idea that the moments are long and the years are short, 
I wonder if you think about what are some of the best moments you've had in the last two years as we go on break, and we'll be back shortly. This is Maureen Metcalf and Kate Terrell, and we're talking about Kate's five lessons in resilience that she wished her younger self had known. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Kate Terrell, and Kate is giving us the five lessons on resilience that she wished her younger self had known. We've done the first three. The, the first was, what would you do if you weren't afraid? The second would be, what do you mean by focusing on what you can control? The third is, the days may be long, but the years are short. The next is, how did you or do you practice the art of gratitude? And this is something I so appreciate. So I'm looking forward to hearing your answer. This is the fourth of five. Sure. 
You know, for me, Maureen, this is one that is, is really important. You know, I was, I've always been a type A personality, and um, I remember, you know, in high school planning for college and college planning for career, and that living in the moment and really being grateful for what you have became really important when I was sick, and uh, a friend of mine gave me a journal and I didn't much know what to do with it initially. And then I started every night before I went to bed, I wrote down one thing that I was grateful for. Um, and I had many days where I was just grateful to be alive. Um, I had other days uh, where, you know, even though I had a lot of tough challenges, being at the hospital that I was at, there were always people who I knew had worse situations. And so for me, that reflection point of just appreciating the day, the moment, the gifts that I've been given in living in the here and now has been a really important practice. And it's one that even today, five days later, I still work really hard to write down something as, as I end the day. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're simple moments. You know, tomorrow mm-hmm. I am getting the privilege of taking my daughter on a field trip. I am so grateful that I am here to be able to do that um, and to be able to savor it. And I think it's just, it's too easy to get caught up again in what you don't have as opposed mm-hmm. to focusing on what you do have. So so this is going to be the way back machine. We were hiking in Costa Rica on an outward bound trip. Um, the end of the first day, our driver had dry, driven off the side of a mountain and we, we did not <laughs> plunge to our death. Um, one of our colleagues fell and did nerve damage to her face because of the late trek. And we got lost on the way to the first camp and we were hiking after dark in rivers. And we did a gratitude exercise that night. Do you remember that? Wow, your memory is so much better than mine. Um, I remember the car. Um, I don't remember hiking after after dark. I, and Paige fell. And, and as a physician, yeah. she knew she had injured her face. And a turning point, I think, for many of us that evening was going around the circle with tobacco, doing a, what am I grateful for today? Because many of us weren't sure we were going to make it out of that trip. <laughs> with the That's guides right. who were That's eco-terrorists. Right. <laughs> it's, an, it's a really important um, exercise, right? It, it's, I find it to be very grounding for me. What was interesting for me with that experience was it it is not only personal, it's also group, that it can change Mm -hmm. the entire feeling and experience of a group of people who are are sore, scared, angry, hungry, um, and and that continued throughout the rest of the trip. But, But that coming back to your singing and the gratitude exercise those ways of finding to lift our spirits and back to then the visualizing what actually surviving this trip is going to look like really are interconnected and 
foundational for how our brains reshape what we're experiencing. Yeah, and I, I think maybe to piggyback on that, Maureen, I think the other thing is when you are in a gratitude circle, just hearing other things that people are are grateful for, um, I think serves as a reminder to you as well because something may surface and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I need to to have gratitude for that as well, right? And it's that it's that genuine, authentic connection that together, um, you know, we, we still, we have a lot, a lot to be thankful for. And those, I keep going back to this trip. I came back to work after consulting and people were complaining about our housing arrangement on a project. And I was thinking, you know, a week ago I was, hiking in the woods with no um, toilets, right? I was, I was going to say grateful. running water. Or... <laughs> yeah. Grateful to have a flushable toilet. I was not going to complain about our accommodations. They were actually quite reasonable compared to the experience I had chosen to pay for and, and have. It's <laughs> interesting how just a shift in experience can change our entire mindset and really bring us back to being grateful for the, the, the small things about being alive. To your point, you, know, you, you don't know this until you've had cancer or had a loved one who, who is at risk in the same exactly. way. So now let's move to the final one. You say your beliefs can put you in handcuffs. What do you mean by that? You know, um, I'll I'll share a story that I think everybody knows. um, And that is, you know, for a long time, people thought the world was flat. And they found all of the data to support that the world was flat. And those people who started to say that the world was round were considered lunatics and crazy. Um, and so the fact of the matter was, is we all know the world is round. And I think it is that you get your beliefs in your head and your paradigms can be so strong that then you start to look for the facts that support your paradigms and not other paradigms. And I think that can be incredibly limiting. Um, you know, I could have looked for all of the facts that said that the surgeries that I had, the kind of cancer that I had was not going to be survivable. Um, I didn't choose to follow that paradigm. I choose to, again, chose to look for everything I could control. What's the progress that's been made with my type of cancer? And so I I think it's really important that people look to challenge those paradigms and really understand that when they look at the world, they look at the world through their lens. And oftentimes you find the facts to support whatever that belief is, as opposed to looking for the facts that might support an alternative. Um, and I think when you look for the facts that might support that alternative, or as I like to say, tell me what needs to happen in order to make this true, mm. I think that's when you can make step change progress. 
Yeah, I worked with a researcher and she would say she was as happy to be proven wrong as proven right. Um, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. don't share that sentiment. But her goal was to, in, in her case, she was uh, trying to help restore hearing for people who had lost it. Being right wasn't the objective. Helping people restore their hearing was the objective. And if being proven wrong meant that she got closer to the actual solution, she was, that was a, win. a person committed to that. It was really about doing what was right, not being right. I think oftentimes, you know, we can be told certain things. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great story about a math professor who used to put a problem in the corner of the of the blackboard back in the days when we still had blackboards, and that was a homework assignment. And one day, the student came in late. And um, what that student didn't know is that the professor had put a problem in that corner, but had told all the students, this problem is unsolvable, it's not doable, it's not homework, you have a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, that student came in, and you know their belief was the homework's in the corner, and they took that problem, and they did their homework, and they went in to turn it into the professor the next day, and the professor was like, oh, that was an insolvable um, problem. Like, there's no way you solved it. And the student was like, well, respectfully, like, I, I kind of think that I did. Um, and as they worked through it, while the, the student didn't completely solve the problem, they did get further than anyone had ever gotten. And it ended up being the thesis um, going forward and eventually was solved. Now, I guarantee you none of those other students in that classroom went home that night and said, I'm going to try to solve an unsolvable problem, right? Their belief was it's (laughs) unsolvable. The other student's belief was it's homework. Look at the difference between Mm -hmm. what happened. And and that's just where, you know, it's really challenging those paradigms. You know, again, this feels to me like it's also connecting with our vision, back to visualizing what's possible, if mm-hmm. I challenge the paradigms and hold the vision that something is possible, the probability goes up that it is. That's right. That's right. Sometimes you have to look for what what needs to be true to make this happen as opposed to all the reasons why it can't. And, and that's where you get the breakthroughs. So where do you use this thinking now? Oh, gosh. You know, I think... In my work, I've done a lot of transformations, right? Businesses are constantly having to evolve and change to be able to meet um, the demands of the day and to achieve their, their outcomes. And, you know, sometimes you go for things that are kind of way out there. And I use that all the time. Of, okay, so we're, if we're going to make this happen, what actually needs to be true? And how do you that to start to work through some of the resistance that can be out there. And sometimes it's harder than, than others, but I think it's a great way to really help get the ball rolling when you're working on major change, whether that's your personal change or it's in an organization that you're working with. I love the phrase, if this is going to happen, what needs to be true? And organizationally, that, that can be systems culture, behavior, financing, communication, any number of, and probably 
is many number of things interconnected. Exactly. So I want to move to a different topic. You have been part of an organization called Leadership for... A long time. Over, <laughs> over 20 years, I guess, at this point. So tell us how that organization built in you some of the qualities that you're talking about here. Yeah, you know, so Leadership is a nonprofit organization, and our our vision is to create a just, caring, and thriving world. And we do that predominantly by um, having, I would say, development experiences primarily geared towards college students where they learn how to create um, vision. They learn how to create an inclusive community, one that can hold different perspectives and maybe even contradictory perspectives in the same, you know, in the same conversation, in the same room. They talk about ethics and integrity and what does all of that mean to go out and, and do great things and make the world a better place. Um, that's essentially what we do. And I think one of the, one of the slogans that we have used a lot in talking about visions is how do you have a healthy disregard for the impossible? And um, that is one of those core tenants. There are so many lessons from, from leadership, and it's an amazing organization. But that's one of the things that really rings true for me. How do you have a healthy disregard for the impossible? And um, what does it look like? And what can you um, do to continue to move the ball, ball forward? Because I would rather dream audaciously big and fall short than to never try because I'm afraid I won't achieve it. Beautiful. So we have a couple of minutes left. I am going to run through for the final time the five lessons on resilience that you wish your younger self knew. So one, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Two, what would you? Uh, what do you mean by focusing on what you can control? Third, the days are long, but the years are short. Practicing the art of gratitude and the idea that our beliefs can be handcuffs and yet we have, it is within our control to change our beliefs. So, Kate, how would anyone learn more about what you're talking about or have you come speak? How would they reach you? Gosh, um, people can certainly uh, reach out to me via my LinkedIn profile. It's Kate Terrell, um, and that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And I am, you know, I'm happy to continue the dialogue. I certainly do um, public speaking events that focus on resiliency and how do you overcome life's challenges. Um, and always, uh, you know, happy to help uh, pay it forward in any way that I can. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your, your, both your journey and some of the personal side of how you got there and, and uh, how you are thriving now. For our listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope that you heard something from Kate's story that you can put into practice in your own life. Hopefully, most of you are healthy and surrounded by healthy family members and yet we can put these resilience practices into our lives as much when we are happy and healthy as we can when we are uh, under significant challenge. 
we would love to hear from you. Either email me at info at innovateleader.com or connect with us on Facebook on inspire on innovating leadership, creating our future. Your comments help shape our future shows, and I love to hear what you like and what you would like to see more or less of. I hope you're able to join us again next week. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.